Hello and welcome to AIPT Comics Podcast, the number one comics podcast on AIPTcomics.com. We're on episode 106, but guess what? I have to tell you something. We have a sweet-ass patron <laughs> going at AIPT now. It's been going for about three months, and uh, we want to tell you a little bit about it. it it's got a, a bunch of tiers, which include uh, joining our Discord and hanging out with us uh, in different ways, like gaming and uh, book clubs and stuff like that. And uh, there are other tiers too, like you can get a free uh, graphic novel. It's it's like sort of like a, a grab bag or a loot crate. It's just a random graphic novel, but uh, it's a it's a it's a good value. Some of these graphic novels are like forty dollars. Mm-hmm. Jeez, and uh, gosh, there are other tiers too. I, I highly recommend you check out our patron. Uh, if you go, if you just go to patron and type in AIPT or APT Comics, you'll find it. I forgot to say, every single penny goes to the writers. Yeah. So. Tiers start as low as $1 a month, and the first tier worth rewards, that's uh, Discord and the Book Club access, starts at $2 per month. And you can actually pay uh, for those annually. Oh, that's true. Well. Yeah, I forgot about that. If, you, if you're more interested in just kind of a one-time purchase, which is how I tend to do a lot of my subscriptions. I should do that. So I, know there's, I know there's people who have brains as broken <laughs> as me, right? Jeez. Wait a minute, but who is talking? Because they weren't introduced yet. Oh no! Is that Forrest? Hello, my name is Forrest with two R's. We also have an interview later in the Oh yeah, Jordan Bloom. Uh, Jordan Bloom, the writer of MODOK Head Games. Um, Got a bunch of questions and answers with him. And if you haven't checked out that MODOK book yet, that's very funny and very good. Yeah, it is. It's a miniseries too, so it's not a huge uh, ask to pick it up. And I'm sure that that animated Hulu series is going to come out. Yeah, in the interview he tells us uh, spring they're they're looking at. Oh, yeah. okay, Mm -hmm. all right. So, um, a quick pivot to show news, procedure, schedule news, personal news. Um, I've already talked with Dave offline about this, pretty extensively, actually. Um, Next week, the episode that comes out on Sunday, the 24th of January, 2021, will be my last episode of the AIPT Comics Podcast. I've spent a lot of time at home over um, since last March. And the amount of work that is coming my way in my professional life, and then also some hurdles in my personal life, family life, um, relationship, uh, and other areas of my life are occupying a lot of my brain right now. Comics have always acted as kind of a bit of escapism for me and a bit of um, therapy for me. And I, I'm struggling with finding that joy right now um, a little bit. And so I think that it's time to restructure some things in my life and re- restructure my focus and um, give my mental health a little bit more attention, the attention that it deserves, and um, to stop <laughs> to stop diving into things headfirst and, you know, using that as kind of avoidance. Um, so I will still be around. Um, I'm still going to write for AIPT occasionally. I'm still going to write for other outlets as well you can find me on twitter at f-o-r-r-e-s-t underscore t-x-t but um yeah this is the end of a of a two plus year streak it's an era end of an era (laughs) for for david and i it's sad it's i'm so sad it is it is yeah we've hung out for hundreds of hours at this point (laughs) (laughs) true and I'm sorry to have to do it, but um, no, yeah, it's important. And I your I health need is to. important. Yeah, and uh, you know, I'm I'm really I will say bluntly experiencing kind of a mental health emergency right now, um, and 
as little influence or reach as we have, if you're within the sound of our voice or you listen to the show every week, take some time to take care of yourself and reflect. And um, I know it's easy in the pandemic right now with the idea that it will go away sometime soon, and hopefully it will with vaccine rollouts and stuff like that. But it's easy to keep telling yourself like, oh, I just need to get through this week. I need to get through another week. I need to get through another week. And, and that kind of stuff just builds up. It sneaks up on you. Yeah. And don't let it get that bad because because it, it does get bad. Um, so if you need help, reach out for help. Um, I have and I'm, I'm going to be. And um, I wish everyone the best. And I'm very thankful for the friends we've made through the show. I'm very thankful for the listeners and anyone who has spent, as you said, hundreds of hours of listening to us. <laughs> um, I, re- I really, really, really appreciate it. It has been a genuine joy. David is an amazing content creator, the most dedicated I've ever known. Um, Thank you. And and he's already got another co-host lined up. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess I, I move quickly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, but we're not leaving you. You know, there's not going to be a break in the show no. or anything like that. Yes. Um, we'll we'll mention it again next week. But I just wanted to get up in front of it and say, you know, I'm feeling tired and it's time to rest. No. Yeah. I'm. 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 I'm grateful that you're you're doing that because you know your health is more important than this show, of course. Uh, speaking of the show, yeah, it's the show will go on. Uh, <laughs> we have. Uh, I was actually reflecting yesterday. We have an incredible amount of guests on the show starting in 2021. Here we had Scott Snyder last week, Jordan Bloom this week. Next week is Chip Zdarsky. The week after that is Josh Williamson, and then the week after that is a valiant guest that I have yet to lock down completely because. Their people are still figuring it out, but uh, <laughs> I need the pe- I need I need my own the people. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm really excited for the show. Um, you know, this year and, and its growth, uh, and you know, of course, your contributions as a co-host and you know, curator of content as well, and you know, bringing your opinions and your voice to the show is one of the biggest reasons why I think it's been as successful as it has this yeah, up until this thank point. You. I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. It has. And if you've been listening, you know it has because we get into the comic book news, reviews, and interviews every single week. And to start every show, we talk about the biggest news of the week. This week, I think this is the biggest news of the week. It's the biggest news of the week that I didn't know about <laughs> until I saw it that you put it in the news. Yeah, dude, I uh, I randomly ran across this on CNN.com, which is not a source for comics news usually. But a rejected Tintin cover broke a world record for uh, sales. It sold for $3.88 million uh, in Paris at auction. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, I wonder why Tintin. I mean, I guess there's a wider appeal to it, right? It's more. I mean, it's more think, well known and across I think the world. Tintin is is a. Um, it's especially a Eurocentric touchstone. True. For a lot of comics, um, it's very very popular there. Right. Yeah. I also think that this is original art from 1936. Yeah. True. Um, it's kind of a crossover of. I think it's called. It's the Tintin comic, The Blue Lotus. Um, and it features Tintin hiding in like a um, ceramic or China esque pot, um, and then uh, there's like a red dragon descending towards him. And so it may have been one of the earlier depictions of like a crossover between Western literature and Eastern literature and symbolism and imagery and stuff. 
I'm sure that it, there's art historians and stuff that have more to say about it or more reason why a bidder might be interested. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say, personally, if you look at this picture, if you look at this cover, that dragon has a fat ass. <laughs> oh my god, you're right. Yeah, right, and right maybe, above the legs. And maybe some of the value is just those <laughs> cheeks. Double cheeked up on a tin tin cover. I don't think I'm ready for that jelly. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm sorry. That's so stupid. Yeah, I was I was reading a little bit about it. Apparently, there were too many colors used in this. Oh, so interesting. They had to redo it for a black and white. Yeah. So yeah, at the time they couldn't mass produce something with that many colors. It's kind of interesting. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I imagine in our lifetime, this these records of, of art selling are probably going to continue, right? I mean, somebody's got... Absolutely, yeah. Like, the Amazing Fantasy original cover somewhere in a closet, and they're like, oh, look, here it is. Yeah. 50 and million. also, I will say, like, there's been a, a lot of people are investing very deeply in hobbies right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. During the pandemic, like, the retro game scene is also seeing a crazy boom. Yeah. Yeah, people I was just watching someone on Twitch and, doing that, yeah. And, yeah, selling and buying entire collections and at very high prices or they're holding on to their stuff or they're or in some cases because of, you know, unfortunate economic strain, they're selling very rare things. Right. Um, and so it could be. Did you ever read Tintin? I was I never really got into it, but I, I remember it when I was little seeing it. I read it like when I was little as a kid and I have some like fond memories of it, but I've never revisited it as an adult. Mm. Um, I actually haven't even seen the movie. Oh, yes, yeah, Spielberg to do a big trilogy. It never happened. Yeah. Yeah. about that? But I know people are really fond of that. And, and, and I know, too, like, people are really fond of the property. I think... So, it the, makes sense. I mean, one of the reasons why we're talking about this at all is because if you have a tin tin cover in your closet, maybe bring it somewhere, like, to a gallery and see if you can make $4 million. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if you have a piece of original comics art from 1936 <laughs> just hanging out... Oh, gosh. Uh, next in the news, adult graphic novel sales have uh, skyrocketed 30% in 2020. 16.2 mm-hmm. million adult graphic novels were sold in 2020. But wait, what does adult graphic novel mean, Dave? Good question. It doesn't necessarily mean it's erotic. It just means that it's not for little children. It's YA or above, I think. Yeah, and, and also, interestingly, this includes manga. Yeah, yeah. Um, and some of the manga, I would say, is directed at children ya markets so i don't really know what that means aside from like there's a lot of nomenclature and statisticism and stuff for the industry that is kind of outdated right um with regards to reading and we've got uh number one the boy the mole the fox and the horse by charlie maxey and then i want to call out specifically number three is strange planet by nathan w pyle Mm. And then follow up with that by saying, <laughs> "Yeah, uh, Stranger Planet at number eight, also also by Nathan Pyle. Everything else, one through ten, is manga. Yeah. Most things, one through ten, are My Hero Academia. <laughs> yeah. That My Hero salad. Academia Volume 1 is at number two. My Hero Academia Volume 2 is at number four. My Hero Academia number 24 that's number six, volume three at number seven, number nine, My Hero Academia volume 23. We could just keep going for this. Uh, number 10 is Uzumaki by Junji Ito. I will say that that one is definitely actually an adult mm-hmm. graphic yeah. novel. Yeah, most of these are are, are like juvenile fiction. Um, yeah, shonen. 
Which is interesting. Yeah. Does that mean then that the audience is that of that age group of like 12 to, you know, 19? Maybe. Um, maybe. I know that, the, you know, there's obviously a huge range of people that read Shonen Jump. Right. Um, monthly, weekly, whatever it may be. And also, it's a super cheap. I have personally dubbed this year the year of manga. Oh, yeah. Myself. I saw you tweet about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm making a, a kind of refocused effort to get into manga. And really, all that I'm familiar with is Junji Ito's work mm-hmm. before I'm coming into this. So, like, I've been reading Berserk, um, Dragon Ball, and My Hero Academia, as well as some other things. So, like, some of the bigger titles, and then I'm also hoping to get into smaller or still going newer titles. Um, and you know, like it's really, really affordable. Shonen Jump is a dollar ninety nine per month. Yeah, um, it is. And yeah. obviously, that doesn't account for the graphic novel sales. But on the same scale, those graphic novels, those individual volumes, are like eight ninety nine or nine ninety nine. So you sell a lot of them. Yeah. Um, especially if you sell a lot of them. Is this only for North America? It is. Yes, it is. It's only for North America. So, um, you know, if people aren't invested or they aren't getting the physical Shonen Jump weekly in America or reading through the app, like, this is the best access to it. They come out quickly. They're affordable. It makes sense. Um, And as we said, like, people have a lot of time on their hands and a lot of time to kind of reinvest in hobbies. Yeah. Yeah. I was just, I saw someone commenting, what's it, Jerry Dugan? They were talking about how in Japan, like there are manga everywhere, like mm-hmm. everywhere, like 7-Eleven, the airport. Yeah. Like it's on every corner because it's so accessible and so easy to just grab one and read. And yeah, I've got yeah. the Dawn of X volume 12 trade sitting on my desk right here and it's seventeen ninety nine retail and um, that's a lot more. <laughs> I mean, you are getting about 120 pages, but I think a manga is even longer than that sometimes. Well, maybe you'll have me on future shows as your manga correspondent. Oh uh, yeah, we're gonna be. Uh, 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 I think Forrest <laughs> is on the line. Forrest, are you? He's at on the, the scene. <laughs> oh my god, he's at. Where are you? You're at a Borders. I didn't think they were still open. <laughs> you broke in. Ah. <laughs> uh, oh, I'd love to have you on the show again uh, at, at some point in the future. Oh, I'm. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, moving on in our next bit of news, it's actually gonna be uh, news about the future. Uh, because, as always, Marvel is releasing their solicit information early in little snippets throughout the weeks before they release all the solicitations, which will likely go up next Thursday. And DC did so as well. Actually, they actually released their entire solicitations, but they also teased a bunch of books. We just wanted to call out a couple of these titles because some of them are pretty big and some of them are, are surprises as well. Um, starting with Marvel, uh, I don't know if you grew up in the 90s, but there's a thing called the Clone Saga that everybody was hype about, and then it never it just never ended. It just kept going. And uh, there were <laughs> plot twists after plot twists. Ben was the clone, then he wasn't the clone. And uh, yeah, Marvel's going to bring back the Clone Saga. Uh, this time they're going to put Miles Morales through uh, the, the thresher that is the Clone Saga. And uh, I don't think people are really psyched about this, but I don't know. How do you feel about it, Forrest? Why? <laughs> it's a surprise Why? for sure. <laughs> I don't. We've talked about this before. I don't have a lot of confidence in the direction that the entire Spider-Man line is taking right now. Yeah. Um, like they are struggling with Amazing Spider-Man. They are struggling, I think, with finding a good story for Gwen. They're struggling with 
the immense success of the Spider-Verse movie and not being able to reconcile that in the comics at the point that they had that they were at in the comics and then kind of overcalculating or miscalculating and like I just think that forcing Miles into a clone saga already one of the most kind of controversial and detested books storylines of its time or for Spider-Man is just totally indicative of them not getting Miles or why Miles is appealing. Mm -hmm. Kids care about Miles. Yeah. Children like Miles. Very important character right now. Children don't have a fondness for the clone saga. No. You don't have to revisit it or get it right or anything because that audience doesn't exist. Right. There's nothing forcing you aside from the fact that they are seemingly in some sort of creative stasis or bankruptness. And that isn't to say that these issues won't be well-written from issue to issue, because Saldin Ahmed is tackling it, and I do think Saldin is a good writer, and that Miles has had some really interesting, great, more personal beats than overarching Spider-Man-esque beats. Yeah. But this idea that using... The Clone Saga, to demonstrate that you don't know what to do with Miles aside from make him like Peter, is is really damning to me. Yeah, it's a it's a choice. Especially after this two-year-long <laughs> slog through the Kindred story. Uh, yeah. What is the Spider Office doing? And also the, I think, um, complete failure that was, you know, J.J. and Henry Abrams' Spider-Man series that was, you know, just racked with uh delays yeah i mean i think everything that you just listed off too another problem with that is that they're all vanity projects yeah yeah like Like, you could say that amazing spider-man isn't but two years of dragging out the kindred reveal yeah yeah yeah. i think puts it pretty firmly into like everyone's huffing their own farts over there a little (laughs) bit like (laughs) i haven't heard that one in a while (laughs) that's funny you know and then just like the clone saga revisiting it or even hunted for amazing spider-man yes trying to to redo the craven story it's just iterative revisionism like retro nostalgia some of it's entirely constructed because that story doesn't already exist for miles it doesn't exist for children audiences it's a totally bereft of sensibility like i get no concrete direction for the spider line from this at all yeah Ooh, i haven't gotten heated about spider-man in a while Mm. (laughs) that's true that's true we tend to just try to not talk about it um they did reveal a uh, wraparound cover that shows three of the clones and they're like one's like a hulk one has uh elbows that have big sharp pointy things and then another is like a spider kind of creature so one could argue that this clone saga has a different bend to it since they're not, you know, just mimics of Miles. They're like these weird freakish uh, monsters. But mm. I don't know. We'll see. We haven't we haven't gotten much out of uh, Marvel yet about what this is going to be about. Yeah. Although they did release a release that said it was going to be controversial. <laughs> that's uh, exactly what we want. I'd like to say up front, that's a terrible way to market your book. Yeah. Yeah, that is weird. Well, in other solicit pre-solicit news uh, marvel is going to be launching the mighty valkyries a uh, new series that'll continue jane foster's story as not the only valkyrie anymore um, which the king in black tie-in has revealed or is revealing it's still it's still telling that story um this one will be uh, by the same crew that uh, that was doing the jane foster valkyrie story jason aaron torin grombeck and now with matea de Lu- Ilias, 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 um, on art. It looks gorgeous. 
it's you know I have to say this also to me feels like a vanity project for Jason Aaron. He yep. wants the Jane Foster character to continue on and be really important. Yep. Yeah, and also, I mean, to echo what we were just saying, like, this gives me no solid idea of what the direction is for Thor or for, you know, the Valkyrie story or whatever, aside from you liked that thing, yeah. so we're just going to stretch it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has its moments. I thought it was neat that she's like a doctor. Uh, I think she has to, like, heal death itself <laughs> in, uh, in the Jane Foster Valkyrie story, and, like, she contemplates maybe i shouldn't because then you know death is killing you know and, and hurting people but you need death in life because what's the point of living if you can't if it's forever um but anyway uh that was revealed this week also champions is getting a brand new creative team with sixth issue which i think came as a surprise to most in part because eve ewing uh and simone de mayo was doing such a fantastic job with the political element of the series yeah, and it really seemed like they had just kind of gotten around to making Champions Matter or telling the story that they wanted to tell. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously Outlawed was meant to be a quasi-event or a between-events kind of event. <laughs> right. We are talking about Marvel after all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to see them pivot away from it so quickly is, is surprising. Like, they really only got through one arc. Exactly, yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe this is partly the pandemic's fault, too, because that book was delayed it could be. so hard. Um, yeah, it could be. But uh, Danny Lore and Luciano Vecchio will be taking over. I can tell you right now, people are excited because Twitter was freaking lighting up when that news cool. went up. Good. You know, Champions has been yearning for a solid creative team for a long time. Uh, they've had a lot of pivots in the last, like, two two years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had the Jim Zub written one that did okay. Yeah. But um, I think, like, the thing that we're talking around is, like, all three of these feel kind of aimless. Right, yeah, yeah. It's like, what's the identity of this? Why do we need this? Yeah, and so, you know, uh, not to evoke something else, but Marvel's having a little bit of an identity crisis. Are they now? <laughs> uh, next in the news, Aliens, the original year's omnibus is coming out in August. Um, this is a little early to be saying uh, to be revealing this news, but I think it's because it's going to be in the book market uh, solicits, yeah, which tend to, to go out a lot further than comic book solicits. Um, again, this is this kind of makes me sad <laughs> because it's all this work that Dark Horse did to make these books, and Marvel just slaps their logo on it and sells it as a Marvel product. It's just so corporate yeah. baloney. Yeah, that seems. Wrong. I mean, it's 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 exactly like what they did with Conan. Right, yeah, they're, yeah, and they're still doing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and they will continue doing because there is a lot of Alien and Predator and whatever other properties they may own as part of that, um, a lot of comic there. There is a cool new cover by Mahmoud Asrar uh, for this new omnibus. Also in the news, Marvel is celebrating Darkhawk's 30th anniversary with an anthology one-shot. It'll have three stories. Uh, some of the creators involved were, you know, a big part of the Darkhawk character, and the creation of him. Um, and then Kyle Higgins gets to do one of the stories. He, ha- he doesn't have an artist attached to his story yet, but it's about the future of Darkhawk. Who wants this? <laughs> Who wants to read a Darkhawk one shot? There are me. dozens of Darkhawk fans. <laughs> you can count them on both hands. Yeah, I think the only story I've ever read, there's some Venom issues with Darkhawk. Yeah. 
And then I think um, he's the main character in Avengers Arena, which I actually really like, despite that being kind of a controversial book. Yeah. And I think that's all I can think of that I've read. There was um, Jerry Dugan and Aaron Cooter when they were doing Guardians. They were bringing in this idea of like the Dark Hawk like force, like a they're almost oh. like a Nova Corps. It was kind of okay. neat, but I don't. I guess the book wasn't selling well enough, so they kind of had to just drop the whole thing. Um, we were talking in Discord this week. Actually, Connor Christensen was saying like how there was all this um, you know hype and gossip that the Dark Hawk Dark Hawk would be in Guardians of the Galaxy two, so everybody was snatching up. Dark Hawk comics. Oh, speculating. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, never happened, of course, but maybe in uh, Guardians 3. <laughs> huh. Interesting. You know what? I wish uh, him and all Dark Hawk fans the best. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it'll probably be fun, but but I don't I don't know if there's like going to be like... A, I don't think this will be the million sold comic that uh, C.B. Sabolsky keeps <laughs> talking about. I think he's out. Of, I think he's out of time. I think he has run Didn't out of time. Didn't he say this year? Did yeah. he? Did he? Oh, I'm shoot. pretty sure he did. Maybe he has a different calendar. He's going but, off yeah, of... Yeah, uh, but also maybe it was delayed. <laughs> He's going off an ancient Chinese calendar. Um, <laughs> next up in DC solicit news, this is probably the biggest news that uh, got clicks on AIPTcomics.com. Uh, Damian Wayne is going to be getting his own book, and it's called Robin. It's by Josh Williamson and um, Gleb Mal- Malnikoff. And uh, this is an interesting reveal in part because only just in August... Damien ripped the Robin logo off of his uh, costume and threw it in the gutter and said, I'm done with this. Uh, quick turnaround for him. I'm excited to see that it they're not Jason Todding him, though. That's true. Like, Jason already exists as a character and I think is a worthwhile character. Mm-hmm. And you don't need to repeat that beat for beat for Damien. Like, Damien deserves a different story or a different character arc and struggle. And um, Williamson is a good writer. I think Williamson is really good at writing characters. And um, the best parts of Flash were the very, very specific character bits or um, the ethos of Flash as a hero that he understood. And I think that you there is an opportunity to do that with Damien and to make Damien make sense as a more kind of important or individualized member of the Bat family. Yeah. Um, and so I'm really excited about the character aspects, but also like there's just so much Batman to read. Yes. All the time. And to, to that... report on in a little bit, in a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so I kind of feel like I hope that this book has a really good reason to exist. I hope right. that it makes a really strong case for itself because it might get lost in the shuffle. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a it's a solid creative team though, and I'm interested to see where it goes. Since the creation of Damien, I've 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 wanted someone to just take this character and and like have him grow up and age. But for the longest time they've just been doing the, you know, he has an edge to himself, he'll kill if he if he's allowed to, he talks back to Batman. Like that it runs its course over time, and he's not been developed at all. So I'm hoping yeah. Williamson will will do that with uh, with this character here, uh, and he'll be on the show in a couple of weeks to uh, to talk about it as well. So cool, great. Check back. Uh, in other news, uh, Jeffrey Thorne and Dexter Story are taking over Green Lantern, and that's pretty cool in part because it's a really interesting lineup. It's not just one Green Lantern in this book. It's three Green Lanterns. We get Far Sector's Joe Mullane. We get the just Young Justice's Teen Lantern, Kelly Quintella. And then we also get Jon Stewart. And so it's like a trio in some 
in some way, shape or form. I'm not sure exactly how it'll work. Of course, it's not out yet, but um, that's kind of neat. It's different for Green Lantern. Yeah, um, I'm excited. You know, we're getting a clearer picture of what it's of what DC looks like under new editorial. And I'm sure some of these projects already existed and, you know, Future State even itself already existed in some form for 5G. But um, getting a better idea of what kinds of stories uh, the new team is interested in producing and um, what characters are going to be central to that. I think, like, Green Lantern is a really, really obvious one after this current run. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. So that makes sense. I would really like to see them revisit the Green Lantern Earth One as well. Yeah, which I think is the better, the best Earth One story. Jeffrey Thorne, he's he's popping up in the news a lot more lately. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's and always so a fantastic artist. Likely, uh, it's funny. Like you, these writers that you've loved kind of disappear probably because they're like working on screenplays or something, and then eventually they just come back to the comics. Um, mm-hmm. Also in the news, the next Batman Second Son <laughs> is coming out, and it will be a digital first series eventually uh, put into print. This continues John Ridley's run on the new Batman that's uh, been revealed in Future State, uh, and it looks like it'll be in continuity. Um, but yeah, again, DC is just continuing their their digital first stuff, and uh, no one else is doing it like that right now. During the pandemic, I am very grateful they, they're doing that yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. I will follow up with this real quick and say i'm kind of already confused about their continuity <laughs> uh because they have numbering on this and they have like a trade dress and then they have one on a, another book that we're going to talk about in a second yeah and i have no idea like what is coming forward from future state what is an entirely new series what is like a soft reboot of something that they're already doing yeah it's hard i kind of wish that they would just write an upfront press release or a reading order mm. or something like i get that that ruins some of the mysticism of it or True. the mystique not the mysticism <laughs> um the mystique of it and like but i i don't care mm-hmm. i don't care just make it digestible please yeah at the end of the scott Snyder interview last week he or maybe it wasn't the end. It doesn't matter when it was. Um, he talked about future state a little bit, and he was like, "Some of it will matter. Some of it won't. Some characters will live on, and some won't." Yeah. And he was like, "Some of the events in future state will actually somehow hang over people's heads in a subconscious level." So <laughs> there are getting to your point. Like there are layers here that are unclear, and it may still be unclear when future state's over. For all we know. Yeah, yeah. I have no idea what's going on. And I was really hopeful for Future State solely because I thought that it was going to kind of recorrect that. Yeah. Uh, redirect that, I mean. And, like, that's how I felt about every quasi-reboot from DC for the last 10-plus years. Right. Every time you think it's going to be more coherent and cohesive. And I, like, every time... Well, not as much recently, but I was excited for Future State. And I do think some of the Future State books are really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but just, like... I, they don't give you a reason to trust them. <laughs> right, right. It's like the buy-in is, is tricky. You can't, you don't know yeah. where it's going. Yeah. Well, you know, if you like uh, YA, uh, DC does do those really well. And you very much know how many, how much you're getting <laughs> or what you're getting and getting out of it as well. Uh, DC these comics... aren't adult graphic novels. These are for children. <laughs> Baby D- graphic novels. DC's first ever STEM-related middle-grade graphic novels coming out called Flash Facts, and it's curated by the Big Bang Theory star and scientist Mahim Balik. Didn't see that coming, did you? Because <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, um, you know, it's kind of cool. It's like 
this is the other side of the coin for DC. Mm. They totally get how to do this. Mm-hmm. They've got the right names attached to it. They've got the right characters attached to it. They've got all of these interesting focuses. Like those that Raven, Catwoman, Mera, those books that they did with Zoom. Yeah. Are really, really good. Yeah. And like I it's sometimes maddening to me that there's such a disparity between how they treat this line and how they treat the quote unquote adult line. Mm. because one is like much more comprehensive and cohesive than the other and i guess all that you could attribute it to is like this is a newer initiative and so there's no like nostalgia or like things complicating the matter for them Mm -hmm. they're just straightforward making books selling books to young readers and oftentimes they're with creators good enough that they're interesting to adult readers too I don't know. It's it's just like looking at DC is so a better world is possible. <laughs> it's similar to how their characters like Wonder Woman, Superman. That's like their right their, their motto yeah. almost. I, I uh, it is inter- you know it's funny. Another publisher might try to like loop flashbacks into one of their mainline books or something like, but uh, they don't of course because it's its own thing. Uh, also, its own thing. There's a new Batman book and it's going to be six issues long and it's called Batman the Dark Knight. One of the most original Batman titles ever. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't need to be mean. (laughs) It's coming out April 13th from two creators you might know, uh, Tom Taylor and Andy Kubert, as along with Brad Anderson on colors. So this is going to be a Batman book that is not set in Gotham. It's an international adventure. And uh, it sounds very much like it's the older, broken-boned Batman that Frank Miller created in uh, Dark Knight Returns. And uh, I don't know. I think people are hyped for this, but like you said earlier in the show, how many Batman books do we need? I wish that they used it as an opportunity. I'm going to take a quick uh, detour into talking about wrestling for a second. Okay. So at the beginning of 2020, they had um, WWE had a manager named Paul Heyman take over Raw. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you know wrestling, you're very familiar with Paul Heyman. Paul had a lot of projects or individuals that he was really interested in, talent that needed time to kind of get used to the very specific requirements of working on TV and wrestling on TV. And and what you need to do that, you need to be, you know, good at PR, you need to be good at social media, to say nothing of needing to be a good wrestler, to being able to talk, all sorts of things like that. He was really investing in people that fans were very much excited about. Mm-hmm. Ricochet, Alistair Black, um, plenty of others, Liv Morgan. Um, and and then the pandemic happened. And all of a sudden, like, they're putting the older, nostalgia-esque wrestlers over those guys immediately. Hmm. Just completely and totally burying them. Mm-hmm. They're just saying, like, you know what? The, Raw is the Randy Orton show now. That's annoying. And there's all this scuttlebutt and rumors that, you know, they said, well, we can't take a chance on making that talent right now because people are already not tuning in or spending money due to the pandemic. So we have no room for that younger talent to develop. Batman is exactly like that. Hmm. They just like they always, always come back to Batman because it sells or even Batman and Joker specifically. Because it sells. But they don't create an opportunity to leverage the Batman stories into being more stories or more interesting stories or different characters or characters for a different audience. And when you're siloing yourself that hard, 
I don't know what the future looks like. A lot of people were expecting Tom Taylor because he's been teasing this for a little bit to do like a Green Arrow series. Right. Or something like that. Yeah. Like instead, though, he's getting to do this weird miniseries that no one was asking for, but you know, it will sell. It will sell, right? And yeah. yeah, I think it's not the stories sometimes that these creators are interested in telling or working on. I mean, obviously, everyone wants to work on Batman. Yeah. But you don't want to be told, hey, whatever other ideas you've pitched are going on the wayside. Right. Because all we're selling is Batman. Mm-hmm. I get that it's called Detective Comics, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I get it. But also, you don't have to do this. It's interesting to me, um, Andy Kubert has not really been making comics since like when he worked this, with Grant Morrison. Hey, hey, this book looks good. I mean, it probably will be amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it will be. I guess another uh, upside to this is that, you know, with Batman's Grave, uh, Ellison uh, Hitch there, that was a 12-issue mini that just ended. And so they're they're retorting to that with the six issue. So it's less of a of a uh, you know sink on your wallet if you're into these Batman mm-hmm. minis. So that's cool, I guess. Also, both creators aren't, uh, or all three creators aren't um, dirt bags that shouldn't be working comics. <laughs> right. Yeah. I guess uh, you know. You, yeah. And so like that is nice. And like. <laughs> we're watching them recalibrate in real time and that's okay. And I want to give them the space and the opportunity to do that. Yeah. But watching this new office fall into the same traps and tropes is disappointing. You know, you, could you imagine if like you were in on one of those like AT&T corporate meetings and there was like a, bullet, a bulleted list and it's like five new Batman titles. <laughs> that's all it says. And they're like, figure yeah. it out. We need yeah. these. Yeah. <laughs> Let's print some money. I'm sure we're not that far off, unfortunately. Well, on the opposite scale of things, um, the sixth annual Dwayne McDuffie Award uh, for Diversity in Comics finalists were named. I call it opposite because this isn't like big corporate, let's make money off Batman. This is meaningful, deeply important storytellers uh, doing amazing work um, in an area that could use way more uh, interest from these publishers. Mm-hmm. But the, yeah. And you can tell because the five finalists, sorry, five, is it five or six? Five, yeah, the five finalists, none of them are Marvel or DC. Uh, they come from IDW, um, Image Comics, uh, a self-published book, uh, Fanographics, and a, a publisher I've never heard of, Unique Studios. Um, but yeah, so... Uh, Newsarama had the news on this uh, that we're pulling this from. Uh, the award is meant to honor the commitment to excellence and inclusion, both on the page as well as behind the scenes. Um, I haven't read any of these books, unfortunately. I didn't even uh, know that. I have read some of Excellence by Brandon Thomas and Kyrie Randolph. That's coming out from Image and Skybound. Yeah, um, yeah. I will say it is excellent. <laughs> um, but the others, no, I have not read. They call this Enemy. Um, George Takai. From Truth with Truth, Angola, J- Janga, Kingdom of Runaway Slaves, and Ianu, Child of Wonder. Um, From Truth with Truth is a self-published work uh, written and drawn by Lawrence Lindell. I think it's really, really cool to see a self-published title get shine. Yeah, that is really cool. It never happens. No, not not often enough anyway. It's also neat, the selection committee... Some big names in here. Colleen Duran, Marv Wolfman, uh, Jeffrey Thorne, who we just talked about doing Green Lantern, uh, Heidi McDonald from The Beat, um, Joe Illich, 
Will Watkins and Matt Wayne. I think I named them all there. Yeah, I think, you know, these folks are doing a service. I think, like, giving credence and attention to these stories, which are very different from what succeeds in the comics market. None of them are Batman. (laughs) None of them are manga. Um, Like... Uh, it's important, and also, like, I'm glad for the work that they do because it, it gives you an opportunity to go and seek out these stories and invest in them and invest in these creators a little bit more. It's nice to know there are five, too. I mean, I feel like if you go back yeah. to 1995, there were zero Yeah, kind uh, of know, books like this. I would love to see all of the nominees as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it for news. In our next segment, our top books of the week, we're going to talk about our top two favorite comics out this week. Forrest, what's your second favorite book of the week? My second favorite book of the week is Ha Ha Number One, written by W. Maxwell Prince with art by Vanessa Del Rey. This is a, a scary, sad clown story. Mm. Um, ha Ha was marketed as a anthology comic series, and it's unclear to me if that means like other creators aside from Maxwell Prince are going to be working on these stories because it looks like the next one is written by him as well. No, he writes all of them and each one has a different artist. Oh, artist. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I misunderstood. That's okay. And then um, I'm also kind of unclear by the end of this issue if we're building towards all of these individual characters are going to meet up mm-hmm. or something or they're going to cross paths or something like that. Right. But um, a very worthwhile, interesting, really comedically dark story um very human yeah um it's about a clown who loses his job um he's kind of lamenting vr and the advent of um a lot of like streaming media and stuff while he's going to the bank to cash his check his last paycheck um he gets robbed or the bank gets robbed more other and he gets shot in the head um and he just kind of descends into madness and laughing you know, like the, like the, uh, what do you call that? Onomatopoeia. Oh, yes. Onomatopoeic title. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Um, it's it exactly, is. it's exactly the story that you think it is, mm-hmm. but it was executed in a way that I found really enthralling and interesting. And like Prince writes with such erratic earnestness, like you really do feel like you're getting the stream of consciousness from a character. Yeah, right. Like you feel like you're in their head. And I, I felt that way about King of Nowhere as well. Um, and especially about this, and especially as the stakes change dramatically for this character. Like, it's very well done. Vanessa and the uh, colorists do really fantastic work too, especially during the the bank robbery scene where kind of everything fades away and the backgrounds are pretty much just like a scratchy blackness. Mm-hmm. Or monochromaticness. You can, like, kind of make out the general gist of where they are, the shape of things. But just the brightness of the clown's uniform is popping on these pages. And um, it's striking this balance that the narrative itself is in a really interesting and rewarding way. And, like, just visually demanding and smart. And um, the story is as well. You know, I'm, I'm excited to see where they go from here and if they've kind of if they have narrowed in on telling one specific type of story through a bunch of different eyes or um, that could be very, very interesting. Mm. So we'll need another one or another two to see if that's the case. Yeah. The identity of the book isn't quite clear yet. Right. Especially with that ending. Um, but, but the individual story here I found rewarding and interesting and like, I was a little like, Oh no, this is exactly the story I think it is, but they executed it well enough that I, I felt that it was worth my time. 
I need to have our editor, Pat Ross, listen to your explanation because <laughs> I wrote this review. He was editing it and he pinged me and he's like, how is it you did not compare this to the Joker movie? It sounds exactly like the Joker movie. And I think everything you just said is why it's not the Joker movie. But mm. on the on the face value, if you were to say ex- like the, the basic premise of this, like a war, like a, a guy who just wants to live his life and be happy and do the things he loves, and the world is crushing and, and doesn't allow him to, and pushes him over the edge, that sounds like the Joker to me. But it's not, you know. No, I don't think it is at all. Like it's just it's a journey through through him realizing that he is unhappy. Right. 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 And and it's not turning. It is in a little bit like he's reflecting on what society has done to him, mm-hmm. and what people's expectations have done to him. But it isn't. I don't know. Bitter about the outside world. True. In a way that I think Joker stories tend to be. Yeah. Um. It's it's very introspective. Right. Right. And and the perspective I think is interesting and and well done too. Like you can't discount that. I don't care about the Joker movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> well said. Um, my second favorite pick of the week was Seven Secrets Number 6 by Tom Taylor and D- Daniele uh, Di Nicolo. This is probably the coolest action-adventure book out right now. Um, this is the last issue of the arc, I believe, and it delivers big time on some huge questions. Uh, if you haven't been reading this, it's about this secret order that keeps... Um, these briefcases with secrets in them um, away from anyone and everyone, really. No one's allowed to open these cases. And uh, not only do we get a little bit of info on what could be in these cases in this issue, but it's just awesome action. I had some crazy (laughs) party music, whatever, house music going while I was reading it. just so happened. And it was like perfect. I was like, yeah, let's go. And there's like people jumping on tanks and like taking them over and stuff. And just super fun uh, a great way to uh, escape reality with this book just because of the complexity of this order, but also just like the great action and great visuals. Um, the book, pretty much every issue has just been stellar. It's just such a fun book. Cool. It's a lot and of fun. Our... I can't believe how oft- how much he works. Uh, who, Tom Taylor? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, you know, it's funny. I was looking at um, how much money these creators make and – if you want to make a living as a writer uh, making comics, I think you have to put in at least six issues a month to make a, a living yeah, wage. <laughs> I guess that's fair. Yeah. It's crazy. It's and like get a good agent. And then, and then you got to pay for your own health care. So bad. Anyway, for our number one pick of the week, we both picked the same book. Homesick pilots. Number two by Dan waters and Casper Wishingard. Um, Yeah. This, this book is awesome. It's so fun, but also dark. It, yeah, uh, it starts to reveal really, the characters. It's striking a really good worthwhile balance between like the halcyon days of teenage summer ending mm-hmm. and the dawning of like adult sadness and responsibility. Huh, that's well said. Uh, well, thank you. I've already written about fifteen hundred words about it, so <laughs> I had a chance to to for- formulate my thoughts. But like, I love the way Weijengard does art. I really love the sometimes very stark differences he makes between pages. Um, This issue in particular starts with like a really low stakes thing where the homesick pilots, the eponymous band, um, they're just getting to know each other and they're having like an argument about the Ramones and how the Ramones suck. Um, And it's true. The Ramones do suck. And um, 
as they're talking, they're just kind of standing in an alley. It's summery. It's like nostalgic in a way. There's all these pinks and blues. The sun is setting behind them. And then we get an immediate follow-up, um, which is the end of the first issue, where the house has just eaten some people. <laughs> yeah. And you turn the page to just like really strong, dynamic, black, dark blue, red. Yeah. Like yeah. it is over. That they're literally cast in red, but they're that, not covered in blood right, necessarily. Yeah. They're just red. That nostalgia e reminiscence is over. It is done. It is much starker. It is much cleaner. It is darker. And the story does that as well, too. Like, Waters has a really interesting take on the idea of luck. Yeah, that is interesting. There's a, a character here who has acquired the, the horseshoe from this haunted house. And she's talking about how she's never felt rain. She hasn't felt rain since she picked up the horseshoe. Um, when the horseshoe is taken away from her, eventually she comments on the breeze, feeling the breeze of the wind, the mm. chill of the wind for the first time in a really long time. And um, we also get a really, really fascinating uh, flashback to her, uh, people around her dying mm-hmm. while she manages to escape death, luckily, at every mm-hmm. turn. Um, and, and the kind of things that that would do to a person. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, um, I will say real quick up front, these books have to get better about content warnings. Oh, which part uh, are you speaking to? Uh, there's a suicide in this book. Oh, that's right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not as explicit as it was with Alienated. Right. But I do think like, I don't think it's suitable to put warnings and resources at the back of the book, Yeah. which it may be there because... Um, the review copies that we get didn't include that stuff. Right. But I think that publishers, I don't, I'm not saying that creators need to censor themselves or that these things shouldn't be in the story because it felt like a really honest representation of sadness and like of someone struggling with their mental health. And, you know, for me, it's like, I've been there. I get it. I see it. That's real. It didn't feel undeserved or or for edginess's sake or anything like that. But I think creators and publishers need to have a more concentrated conversation and effort about making that stuff self-effacing, mm-hmm. making it um, apparent and, and, and for c- customers, too. Right, right. And I will say to people that hate the idea of content or trigger warnings, the idea of a content or trigger warning means that it's in the book. It means it's not being censored. Right, right. It's right, there. Right, right. They didn't remove that material. Right. They're just, yeah, they're giving the people who need or want that warning a chance. Right. Um, and so that isn't to say that this scene wasn't well done and it wasn't deserved. Because it was. It was wild how the person grabbed the horseshoe and turned into this horse- horseshoe-shaped thing, chrysalis or something, this like weird bug thing. Yeah, it was like an angelic horseshoe cocoon. Yeah, yeah. Like out of like some kind of anime, I'm trying to think. Yeah. Neon Genesis, maybe? It, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. I think uh, in my review, we called it like Final Fantasy thirteen. Oh, uh, okay. Um, but it's a bit like, um, yeah, it's like, or like the monsters in any kaiju monsters or like mm. this weird like existentialism art, you know. Visually. It's very, it's very Sentai. Like it, it yes. is like right down the center there is as much power rangers as there is a horror story here and that's kind of an interesting 
element to this book that made me go, huh, this, like, what is the, on, on, on two sides of the coin, what is the identity of this book? Because this, this issue has this crazy monster we're just talking about, and these, like, bright colors and interesting choices like that. So is it a dark horror? Is it more of a superhero kind of thing? Because we've got a character who basically has powers now. Um, there's a lot going on. And while I think that's really exciting and cool, I still don't quite understand the identity of what the mm. book is yet. Sure. Yeah. And that's a bit of an issue. But of course, we're only two issues in. So it's kind of too early to be talking like that. I think that the book is about the push and pull between being a kid and being an adult. Right. And like having horror and having something like Power Rangers right next to each other is a pretty great encapsulation of that. Mm hmm. Um, and then, like, on a personal level, you have the main character, Amy, who is definitely struggling with stuff in her life, and she's experienced some very traumatic events. And then you have the... But she's also still, like, a kid. Yeah. She's still, like, a punk. She's still hanging out with her friends. She's interested in, like... You see her backpack has a bunch of pins and graffiti and stuff on it. Like, she's interested in exploring and expressing who she is in a very, like, rebellious teenager way. Right. And they're out late at night going to clubs. Right. They shouldn't be going yeah. to... Uh, kicking cops in the head and that kind of stuff, which, <laughs> fuck yeah. yeah. But also, like, you have this much more significant existential dread um, nebulousness of the house. Yeah. And, yeah. like, what its motivations are are very mm -hmm. dubious and confusing. And, like, to it, it's kind of like watching real-life adulthood and nebula nebulousism that's not the right word, cast a shadow on you, right? Yeah. Like, even in just in standing in the shadow of the house and what it represents and the representation of dealing with trauma, like, I think it's, it's really good. I will say Waters doesn't do a great job of making it not obvious that he's British. <laughs> you know, I uh, that, now you say that, there, there was a line of dialogue in the first issue where I was like, that's not, that's not something American would say. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty... Uh, were you talking about the scene where the kids from the other band come up and they ask yes. how it was and she says, was all right? Yeah. Yes, something like that. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, it took me aback for a second, but I, you know, of course I just let it go. But it is interesting when that kind of thing happens. I think if you, if you've listened to the last, I don't know, five minutes we've been talking about this, you can tell why this is our favorite book. It just feels so original and, and new and, and fresh in so many ways that you just can't not love it. Yeah. And like, I trust the creators enough to, watch them figure out where this book is going in real time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah well those are our favorite books of the week in our next segment top books for next week we're going to talk about our top number one book coming out next week um i'll go first i'm really excited for future state superman worlds of war number one this has got three stories uh the main story is by philip kennedy johnson and mikhail janin there's a backup with by brendan easton valentine Teen De Landro and another backup by Becky Cloonan, Michael Conrad, and Gleb Mel Melnikov. Um, the main story is about Superman. The one, one of the backups is about um, Midnighter, and another is about uh, Mr. Miracle. Mr. Miracle? Mr. Miracle. Yes. Mr. Miracle. Tom, Tom King's Mr. Miracle, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know why. But this just sounds, just sounds wrong. Mr. Miracle. Um, the main story is really different from what you might expect. You know, the cover shows Superman in this gladiatorial ring fighting for his life. Uh, if you look at the preview at aptcomics.com, you can get a taste of how this book is played out because it's not Superman the gladiator. It's more of a um, reflection on um, 
what Superman means to people now that he's gone. So it's kind of a kind of a really sad but interesting way of showing how he means different things to different people. And but all of all of those meanings are valid and interesting. So I think Johnson's really tapping into what is Superman and what does it mean to people and and how does it how does that change the world? Just the concept of Superman. So I think that's really fascinating. The backups are great too. Obviously, you can tell I've already read it. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, uh, it's probably my favorite book of, of next week. But uh, yeah. So what's your what's your most anticipated book of the week? My most anticipated book of next week is Crimson Flower Number One. This is a new indie series from Matt Kent. The, yep, <laughs> the Tom Taylor of the indie world, and <laughs> Dark Horse, yeah. Uh, uh, art by Matt Lizanewski. Um, I'm sorry on that one. Uh, this is like a espionage esque fairy tale story. Um, they're playing with genre. Uh, Kint is playing with genre the same way he did with Bang. Mm. Um, it's set in Russia. It's like I'm a little worried that it's a little tropey, mm-hmm. and that it's like agents trained through ballerina programs and the cold winters and stuff like that but i also think like all of that stuff all of the dressings of like a russian spies training tale espionage all of those things are like meant to be very upfront and straightforward so that they can be toyed with later mm-hmm. um, and kent in particular is really good at doing that um, and so i'll give him the benefit of the doubt and say like it's a really interesting setting it's a really interesting character um, it's worthwhile. I don't know where it's going from here, but it, it seems worthy of an investment, at least for some time. Matt Kent, he's got so many ideas. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He was a good guest, too. We got to interview him like a year ago. Yeah. When, it, when he was doing that um, Folklords series. Oh, yeah. I like that one, too. I've, I've kind of always been a fan of his work. Um, it's got a big range. Yeah. Um, some of his stuff is really, really, really good, and I wish that that he would drop some of the side projects and just focus in on that stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, also, his ideas are so good; like getting to play with them or see them, even for just a little bit of time, is usually rewarding. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, the 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 uh, patron uh, Discord book club of the month right now is Matt Kent's Grass Kings, um, and Tyler Jenkins does the art on that. That's another book that's like just so interesting and different um mm-hmm. he's just matt kent's been doing it good for yes, a while true <laughs> in our next segment judging by the cover junior we're going to talk about our number one uh piece of cover art that's out next week uh what is your favorite cover art out next week my favorite cover art is the cover art for the pulp trade um mm. cover art by sean phillips this is written by ed brubaker um it is exactly if you picture if you close your eyes right now and you picture like nostalgic western storytelling yeah um i mean close your eyes and imagine you can even imagine like no country for old men Mm -hmm. uh any of the works of cormac mccarthy uh any like clint eastwood-esque storytelling like it is just that um it's a character uh painted in orange and pinks and blues and reds looking sad um out into the horizon and then there's a man on a horse below him but it is just so minimally beautiful and evocative and expressive. Um, there's a lot of storytelling that can be done with an image like this and with a um, a really earnest attempt at depicting a person in their quiet moments. Mm-hmm. And like you can kind of see the ex- the desperation and the anxiety and the weariness on his face. 
And I think, like, when you can execute a single image like that, that's all that you need to do. Having rewatched Snow Country for Old Men just last night, you are so right. <laughs> I love that. I love that movie. I love it's that so book, good. too. You know what's also cool about this cover is the um, the lettering on Pulp, but oh. also the cutout of the letters and how they're not even necessarily, like, they're not perfectly fitting inside of the white. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's kind of interesting. I don't know why they did that. It's, it's uh, making me think, though. I mean, I think it's intentional, right? Like... Yeah. They're trying to depict a kind of unease. Right, right, right. Good pick. I, my pick is um, Superman Worlds of War. This is uh, Michael Janin, who's one of the best, I think, the, today, as far as like detailed, uh, very clean and, and uh, appealing superhero covers. This has got a gladiator Superman with chains around his wrists, fighting for his life as monsters are all around him trying to kill him, I'm assuming. And we've got Darkseid in the background, uh, standing on some kind of podium. Uh, so there's a lot going on here, but it's kind of cool. It's very like pulp sci-fi-esque. Uh, yeah, it's very like, like John sky. Carter. Yeah, oh, that's a yeah. good, nailed it right there. Uh, the red sky, the lightning, there's a, there's, there's a lot of elements to this that kind of imbue this sense of like um, wild... Uh, wild events happening on mars or something <laughs> to go with your john carter uh comment and but yeah the superman design is hot it's cool i like how he's his logo i i don't think he's uh, he's nude he's got like a he's got white spandex on not yet uh, anyway <laughs> right but he's got the superman logo which is this giant plate of metal that's like chained to him mm -hmm. it's very bondage-esque isn't it yeah it's you know it's very kirby-esque too um it's very otherworldly and weird and sexy and dark all at the same time. Yeah, he's got the um, choker kind of thing too. Um, I just I'm into that. Also, I like how the Superman logo is on his trunks. So that you know, when he goes to do a wash, they know, you know, it's his. <laughs> that one's that one's mine. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, if you go to amptcomics.com, look at this podcast post, you can see the covers in full. In our next segment, Jordan Bloom's gonna be joining us to talk about Modoc Head Games. We're gonna be getting into not only the series, um, and he's co-writing with uh, Patton Oswalt, but also we talk a little bit about the Hulu show, and we do a super fight. Modoc versus Dazzler. Who's a better pop star? Oh. It gets weird. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, like, subscribe, and all that, and uh, talk to you later. Thanks, all. So, on with us is Jordan Bloom. Uh, you've got two issues of Modoc Head Games out, which you co-write with uh, Patton Oswalt. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you guys so much for having me. And thank you, by the way, so much for supporting the book uh, thus far. Uh, Maybe you'll tur turn on us in issue three or four, but so far you guys have been <laughs> uh, such great, great cheerleaders, and, and we're so thankful for, for the help getting it out there. Yeah. I, oh, of course, yeah. I read the first two last night and loved it. It's, it's a blast. Thank you so much. It was wild. Uh, I, if you if you talk to Pat and uh, tell him thank you from David Brooke because <laughs> he retweeted my review four times. I think, oh, nice! In, within twenty four hours, and I was just like, "He's doing it again! It's happening again!" <laughs> I will I will absolutely pass that along to him. So, Modoc Head Games has been it's not only been fun and funny, but it's I think I was surprised. I thought it'd be just straight comedy. It's just super action packed, yeah. and I really appreciate that. What is what is your script, scripting process like? Uh, with Patton Oswalt, and how do you approach, you know, mixing, you know, comedy with action and making that balance work? Uh, well, we, 
the big thing for us kind of coming into this project was we didn't want to repeat ourselves. You know, our show is uh, obviously a, a comedy and mm -hmm. it, it's a much more comedic take on the Marvel universe. So we didn't want to just adapt our show and, and just write that version again. We wanted to write the, the 616 MODOK. And sure. to us, you know, he, he, he can be very lethal and, and deadly and capable at times. And other times, you know, he can be pretty funny and, and comedic. So we wanted to, to blend those two in into you know the, the version we wanted to to write for the series and we kind of approached it that way of of you know let's let's write all the different kinds of Modocs because uh, he's been he's a very flexible character and there's been a lot of interpretations over the years so we wanted to kind of service all of those in the writing of it but make sure that we never were kind of forcing our show or the the, our take on Modoc into this, like we wanted to to honor the, the comic in Modoc. So uh, as for writing, we we broke out the whole story, and uh, you know we will will kind of outline together and and pitch uh, you know dialogue bits here and there, and then we'll break up pages or take scenes and 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 then kind of trade back and forth and rewrite each other's stuff, and, mm -hmm. and then we just kind of end up with the comic at the end and uh you know there's stuff that kind of different scenes that excite us and uh for uh, issue two i know Patton was so pumped to write that that scene with the master so a yeah. lot of that you know was was very much <laughs> master much of power. the world <laughs> the master of the world right you know <laughs> yeah that was fun that's like a deep cut for like super Marvel fans to really appreciate. I just I love think. that he insisted on the full title. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's lots of masters out there. You got to be very specific. <laughs> sure. You are. But uh, yeah, you know, and uh, it's, it's just a fun collaborative process. I, you know, before uh, COVID we were writing them where we would just kind of sit down together and, 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 and do it. But after, you know, being being away from each other, we, we just divided it up. But it's it's I don't know, you know, who writes what and you know, it just kind of all blends <laughs> together by the time sure. you send it right. to, to the editor. So it's been, you know, it's just a fun, fun collaboration. Nice. That's sort of like television writing too, right? Like no one quite knows how much you wrote of a script of a episode or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Occasionally, yeah. And occasionally you'll be like, Oh, that was definitely my one liner or whatever. <laughs> There's so many great, just like little asides throughout the book of people kind of, you know, giving each other shit, which I, I love. Um, did you find Modoc to be a relatable character? Uh, relatable in, in some of the things I wish were different about me, you know, <laughs> I wish I could, I didn't have that kind of these insecurities that were kind of, you know, in the back sure. of my head talking to me. And that's something we, we included into the book and, and, you know, I'd love to say that I've never made a decision that wasn't ego driven, but that's a lie, you know? So I think, <laughs> right, right. but I think that's what makes him relatable is that, I think we, we, we called it out in issue two. Modoc is brilliant. That's not the thing I relate to, by the way. Uh, Modoc is brilliant, <laughs> but his his ego gets in the way, and it mm -hmm. it, it stops mm -hmm. him from being Doctor Doom, uh, or or um, actually conquering the world or making change in the world. Uh, yeah. And I think that's really fascinating. Is the character is his own worst enemy, and and I, that, that I find uh, very relatable. Uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, and, and, and you know, he's he's very driven. Like I think most people would have given up by now right. after all the defeats or all the times he's been murdered and resurrected and, <laughs> right. and brought back. But he 
he's very dedicated to this goal. And I think sometimes that makes him a little arch. And I, I love that about him that, you know, like he's, he's got tunnel vision to, to one day sure. taking over and running things his way. And, and I love that about him. You have that moment in the first issue where, uh, you know, he points out to Monica all the things he's been able to accomplish while everyone else is talking. I've, you know, hacked into all these servers. I've changed the stock market. <laughs> that was an amazing moment. all these companies. Um, and if he's able to do all that, then he should be in charge of the world. But he also can't help but point it out to everyone else. Like he has to, mm. he has to like toot his own horn constantly. Right. Right. He could get away with it if he didn't feel the need to like shove it in Iron Stamp Man. Stamp it. Yeah. Right. That he's better than <laughs> uh, and, and I love that about him. And, and I think that's, that's a fun character to write. And, and I think the, especially the comic book version, you know, he's, he can be funny, but he's not a joke. And I think that's what we were trying to yes. to show in this is that he we we give him some wins and we let him outsmart a lot of people and and save the day or or have these big kind of cool action scenes where you know you wouldn't want to mess with Modoc. That a lot of the fights we you know we, we built around are, are not to just undercut him or or yeah again make him into the butt of the joke. Like it's this dude is is a very capable villain. Mm -hmm. Having written him in two different ways, in two different formats, I should say, would you rank him as in the top three Marvel's weirdest characters? <laughs> or have you like broken him down so much that you like understand the humanity? <laughs> I think he's both, though. I think he's a very human oddity, you know, like <laughs> which you could say about some of our friends right? Right? Totally. in real life <laughs> but that's the appeal of him is you have this jack kirby design that's unbelievable it's mm, it's yeah. the first thing yeah. you notice it's the thing that pulls you into the character you know he's unlike mm -hmm. any other and at the same time i think stan lee and a lot of the other writers who have written him you know your mark greenwalds have have added this humanity to him that you know, he's flawed and, and he's tragic. If you look at his, his backstory, yeah. you know, he was this aim technician or gender, depending on, you know, who's writing him. And, and he was uh, forced or at least, you know, kind of tricked into this experiment that turned him into this human computer. And then he immediately on becoming brilliant decides, well, I should be running things. So he turns on the people, you know, who, who have made him into this and takes over aim. And, you know, to me, that's there's so much going on there. And I think we're trying to tap into all of that in the in the comic where, yeah, we're going for the humor. We're acknowledging, you know, the physicality of the character yeah. while still trying to show that there's layers to him and there is a humanity to him. And I think what's cool is that there's all these voices going on in Modoc's head. You have mm -hmm. George Charlton, you know, the, the version, the man he once was, who we're trying to kind of. Uh, bring out in, in some of that that voice that, that that's in the back of his head uh his self-conscious his self-doubt that voice the voice in the yeah. back of his head is his self-doubt that's kind of bubbling to the surface and and that's tripping him up you also have the computer brain so we've kind of incorporated that you know the way he calculates his decisions and and how he's going to to kind of attack people or get out of situations uh and then you have this boisterous braggart villain who wants everyone to know that he's the smartest person in the room so i think all of those those voices make for like a really interesting character because each part of them is a part of Modoc. Sure, absolutely. Something about comics, especially those with comedy, um, I always wonder. You know, Scott Hepburn is doing extraordinary work on this book, I think, and 
when it comes to comedy, you have to still hit those comedic time timing, you know, how do you approach the scripting so that Scott gets that timing right? I mean, so much of it is Scott's instincts. Uh, he's he's unbelievable. Like I, uh, Scott is the book. You know, we're just lucky to have our names on it because Scott is just <laughs> carrying us down the field. Um, but he's he's really good at not going for the easy joke. I think mm-hmm. he he realizes that it's funnier when you portray it straighter. You know, like. It, Modoc isn't drawn silly, you know, he's he's drawn mm. in the way Modoc sees himself and I think that adds to the comedy oh, um that. because <laughs> yeah, cuz he <laughs> he's in these scenes believing that he's on top, that he's in control. Right. And I think Scott gets that and then it's more about the people reacting to him and around yeah. him than letting Modoc be a joke himself. So I think uh, Scott's so great at that and it's just the energy he brings to it uh you know, there's no boring scenes when scott's drawing it like even and it's not a boring scene but even that scene where it's just tony and the master and modok sitting around a table in a casino like the master is slamming down his drink and there's like energy lines like coming off his drink or (laughs) screaming to the heavens and and scott realizes that i think like that's that's the way to kind of carry you through this that uh modok is a character who's at 11 at all times and i think the art (laughs) reflects that Oh man, the uh, the Wolverine reference in the first issue, the now it's Modoc's turn, like genuinely made me cackle. Like I, the the posing is perfect. Like that whole moment just really sold me. That that's the moment where I was like, oh, I know what this book is. Like, or I feel like I know where, like how the how seriously this character takes himself, and I, I love that. I um, part of that was just Pat and I being like, this is the only chance we get. <laughs> we're gonna put right. Claremont references in. We're gonna Absolutely. put everything. Absolutely. You know, even that splash page uh, where Modoc is kind of mowing his way through AIM agents, and oh, you know, man. one's getting lasered. That we we gave uh, Scott like that Barry Windsor Smith cover to the Weapon X trade, and we're yeah. like, this is the vibe. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. And I think that's what I love too is Scott doesn't do kind of you know one for one references. He makes it his own, and it just ends up being something new and, and amazing. Yeah. But it's kind of reflecting on the comics that came before it for sure comics lovers comic basically totally uh, a lot of a lot of easter eggs and stuff like that we just tried to cram in there and scott's so good at that that the villain convention you know we oh, gave yeah. him a few suggestions and then he just went wild with it we're like, like yeah there's some cuts <laughs> yeah like he put in that whole thing where like arcade has his own booth and it's just yes. a roller coaster and <laughs> yes. like something eating you and and i was like oh my god that's so great because all we put in was like oh maybe arcades there you know and that was yeah. scott's imagination just going crazy oh, that's so I love fun that. yeah that page is great uh on the on the reverse side how do you approach comedic timing and comedy when writing the uh the hulu series it's a different beast uh you know for for comics pacing comedy you know is really tricky sure we found like uh we kind of leaned into i love those panels where someone says something and then it's the same panel again and you're you're you know the reactions slightly change i think um Mm. to me uh when we were writing i'll get back to the show but for the comic Mm -hmm. we looked at um was it steve labier who who drew um the the superior foes oh it was, uh, oh man, Forrest is going to be screaming at the uh, <laughs> at, his, at his phone right now. Um, yeah, it was, it was uh, Steve Lee. Yeah, Steve Lee Yeah, 
and, yep. and to me, like that is one of the funniest books ever. Yeah, it's great. Because drawing comedy is really difficult. So we looked at that a mm. little bit for how to pace comedy on the page uh, and make it work. But going back to the show, uh, you know, we, we, we knew we were going to do a Marvel universe that was a lot more comedic and uh, a little more satirical, but still mm -hmm. grounded in what we love about, about Marvel. So our version of MODOK, you know, reflects that. But the idea was never to kind of lose the core, all the things we've been talking about, I think, mm -hmm. that make MODOK such a great character. Um, but at least kind of, you know, make it tonally fit what we were doing. And so, you know, our MODOK, he, even though he is brilliant, he's terrible at relating to people, whether it be, you know, people he's working with or, sure. you know, people he is uh, related to. He mm -hmm. tries to solve all his problems from kind of a supervillain point of view. And usually that's mind blasting things away. And, you know, our take for the show was, was to put him in this situation where he can't solve his problems that way anymore. So, you know, he loses control of aim in the pilot and mm -hmm. has to, to keep it, keep the, the doors open, sell it to this, this um, tech company, this Google company, mm -hmm. a company uh, who takes over and suddenly he has to kind of answer to a board and HR and like, he, he just, villain <laughs> tactics don't work anymore. Right. <laughs> you, you could be ousted from your own company. And the same thing, he, he has a family and, you know, the, our show kind of opens with, with the wife wanting a separation and, you know, suddenly he's, he's moving into like a really shitty studio apartment and he, you know, he, he's lost all these things that he wanted, uh, you know, in life, like his family or things that he took for granted, like Ain. And it's about a guy, you know, to me, the, the most interesting stories are when you strip your character down nothing, when you take away their power yeah. and then what, like what, what does he do next? So it's, it's a story of Modoc trying to figure out how to get back to things, you know, he, he wants in life and, and also, you know, <laughs> how to go about it without being able to, to again, mind blast his issues away. Sure. Uh, so we thought that was kind of an interesting place to start a character. You know, it's, it's a, it's essentially a midlife crisis story. But <laughs> right. it's not yeah. Uh, so I love that like real life is what strips him of who he is. You know what I mean? Like boardroom meetings and a wife that's nagging yeah. him and stuff like that. Of course um, just so the listeners know, uh, the Hulu show is not out yet, but it's supposed to come out. I think this year at some point, like spring, I think is the last I heard. Yeah. Um, obviously COVID kind of slowed some things down for, sure. for most, Productions, you know, we were no different, but um, we are trekking along, and um, it should be around spring that we are. Awesome. I, I know that uh, Modoc Head Games is only, I think it's four issue uh, miniseries, right? Yeah. Is there any chance that if we all buy five copies of every issue, it, we can get another one of these miniseries? <laughs> is there is that in the cards? I, I think. Where, what is what is your what is your future for Modoc? I think that's comics? always the, uh, the case. Um, <laughs> He's a character, obviously near and dear to my heart. I've now sure. spent year, years with him. Uh, yeah. So uh, even with some other comic book stuff, I'm hoping to do in the future. I think I will always be. He'll be always be popping up in 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 whatever projects I do for Marvel. And um, but yeah, hopefully I would love to do another series with him. He's so fun to write, yeah. and we have so many more ideas that we couldn't even fit into this mini series or into ten episodes. So um, yeah. Uh, we shall see. I guess it depends on on how well it does and if Marvel is game. But we've we've 
been really lucky to get to work with our editors, uh, Jordan White and, and yeah. Lauren Amaro. And, and they've been so amazing at, at, you know, just letting us play with the toys and, and go crazy and reeling us in when, when, when we need to be reeled in. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but no, they, they've been fantastic and I would kill to get to work with them again. So hopefully people like it, people yeah. buy it and we'll be allowed to do more. Fingers crossed. Yes, please. So, uh, David, do you want to do you want to field this next one? You had some questions about Modoc's biology. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Modoc has these memories of a family of a daughter. Does that mean Modoc has the ability to make babies? And I am yes, speaking to genitalia. Have you guys <laughs> thought about that aspect? Has that come into play in your scripting or or plotting? I will say, if you're looking for more <laughs> answers on that, the show is is, yeah. is more likely to, to tackle that than the okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I loved when we got to see his brain open when Tony was working on it in his second issue, and like, there's actually some like details in there where you know it looks cool, and then there's like some rationale to how he functions. So I'm just like wondering, like, does he have, you know, like an what's, alligator what's penis that? that's tucked no, away, David? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if this will answer that part of the question, but I'll say uh, things happen to Modoc in issue three where you will learn a lot more of, of the literal inner workings of how Modoc works. You will see oh, it. Wow. Scholars draw oh, cool. stuff. And even more so, almost in four, um, mm-hmm. there's a, a splash page that is, uh, yeah, it, it, we dig into into the, how Modoc physically works uh maybe not maybe not the <laughs> answers you're, you're you're looking for but uh i think there'll be some images that will give you some insight maybe in the next mini series awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's just like a sex ed course but it's Modoc yeah. giving, the, giving the course uh, yeah and then uh, after after Modoc, like what is what's like the number one series you'd love to write with or without Patton? uh you know what what character would be like your top go-to well i'm an x-men guy um through and through uh x-men is my obsession uh it's one of those things i it's like i just think about it maybe like 40 times a day just randomly you know uh so anything x-men related but i always kind of lean more towards the um i don't call them d-list but not like cyclops is my favorite character but outside of him you know i'm a big fan of your your multiple men or Danny Moonstar, like New Mutants is, is my yeah. my favorite book of all time. Um, I love uh, the current people working on it. So I would never say, oh, I want to take that book <laughs> over. But like down the line, if they were ever done with it, I would be yeah. happy to, I would kill to write a New Mutants book nice. or something with those characters. But I like kind of, yeah, your, your more obscure X-Men characters are, are some of my favorites. But there's something... Um, even with Modoc, you know, I, if you were to offer me Spider-Man, obviously I would take it. But I think, uh, you know, there's Twist something really, really freeing about um, writing the kind of weirder oddities or, or characters that, you know, don't have as much of an expectation of, yeah. of continuity or, or, you know, if you don't get J. Jonah Jameson right or this or that, you know, they're going to destroy huh. you. Where right. you can, I think, you know, Modoc, you can add, I think, a lot more to because... Yeah. You know, he his deal has kind of been the same since the 60s and he kind of pops up, you know, in these smaller appearances. And, you know, there's 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 some mythology building that you can kind of sure uh, be able to really add to in a way where sometimes you're a little more boxed in on some of the big 
tier characters. So I always love the weirder kind of D-list side of, of the Marvel universe. Yeah. Yeah. You have like free reign basically. Right. I mean, if you have a, if you're doing a blue beetle story, like there isn't some person using that character likely in their, in their book. All right. That's another one. Very high on my list. Hey, there you go. Oh, really? Nice. We're going to go DC beetle and boosters. Number yes. one. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Jordan, on this show, we play a game called super fight. We have not played this game with a guest yet in 2021. Uh, super fight is a, is a deck of cards that has a random type of fight. A character will take on another character with, and, um, we're going to have you decide who wins in a fight with Modoc versus, and we haven't decided on who. <laughs> I was thinking maybe just the entire Marvel Universe, similar to Deadpool versus the Marvel Universe. What do you think? I'd like to write that book, too. Um, yeah. That'd be pretty dope. So let's, let me just going to randomly pull a card here, and I hope it's a good one. Okay, okay. All right. Modoc versus the Marvel Universe. Who would be the hottest pop star? <laughs> So we have to, so so. So it's like him versus Dazzler, these, like. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, okay. I love Dazzler. Yeah. yeah, who would be the hottest pop star? Um, God, who'd have the best videos? Well, I don't know. I mean, Dazzler has she cheats. She has the the powers that basically give her all of her pyrotechnics, right? Yes, I mean it's Dazzler, but she's got Lila Cheney on backup, right? Guitar. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, I've heard Patton sing in our show. Uh, so I have that knowledge of how Modoc sings. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to say Dazzler on her worst day probably is going to uh, <laughs> defeat him. Though um, I could see Modoc kind of like making some sort of aim weapon tech that steals her voice mm. and her light powers. Ooh, and he, that'd be cool. he goes on tour being able to sing in Dazzler's voice. Modoc and uh, the holograms. <laughs> yes, exactly. The new, the new gem in the holograms. Uh, front person. Um, but eventually, uh, as all Modoc stories go, he would get in a huge fight with his band, uh, break <laughs> off, become a solo act because his ego would demand it. And then those albums wouldn't be as beloved as the one with his, his band. And it would be that kind of, you know, career where the, the lead singer um, decides to do their own thing. It doesn't capture the magic of the original band and those, those, that album tanks and, and uh, he's forced to come crawling back. So he, Nathan, album. you're a, you're a James Bond expert. Who was that lead singer that did one of the uh, Bond intro songs and broke up with his band to do it and then had his own solo career? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh. I think it was Casino Royale. Oh, yeah. No, Chris Cornell did the did the theme for yeah. Casino. But it was when uh, it was when Soundgarden was like on hiatus. It was Soundgarden, oh, Audio okay. Slave, like all that. I think they were on hiatus. Uh, the Bond themes are interesting because they always have the composer like co-write the songs and then they just kind of pick a, a, a vocalist. So, oh, true. Yeah. yeah, I don't think Modoc would be into doing a James Bond. Modoc would do a, I feel like he'd do a spoken word like Coffeehouse album after the band <laughs> <Yeah>. tanked. <laughs> like, a, like a William Because he's so kind of sad. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but it's, yes. it's like simpering fools. <laughs> Modoc thoughts or something <laughs> I don't know why, but my mind immediately went to fashion, and I was thinking about like how like you know Lady Gaga wore like a meat sure. suit. Like, what would Modoc wear on the red carpet to beat Dazzler? <laughs> he dresses Arnim Zola. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, from issue two. Yeah. Oh, well, I think God. he would get like how she has the disco roller skates. He would make a disco ball hover chair. 
but it would blind everyone and uh yes yes no one would overthink it It yeah no one would be able to take a picture people would literally go blind yeah there you go oh that's funny i like that jesus it writes itself i've seen the meat dress in person it's at the uh it's at the rock hall of fame museum in in cleveland how's it not rotting it's like well that's the thing is it's now a jerky dress basically because they treated it (laughs) And it's it's haunting. <laughs> Heavil, heavily salted. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's delicious. So Jordan, in our last segment of this show, we do off topic top shelf where we're gonna ask you what you're into right now that's not comic book related. Hmm, okay. Let's see. What are could be literally anything. Any kind of media. Cooking, pastimes. Um man, the fact that I have to think this hard shows you <laughs> that I could probably do more outside of comics and video games and stuff. We just watched the first season of uh, Hill House, or I guess oh, yeah. Hill House. Um, I guess there's only one season of that, and then they do another mm-hmm. another location. But that I, that was just like right up my alley. I love um, real character driven horror, and yes. sometimes there's not a tonnage of that. And to me, mm-hmm. uh, this was very much like it, it had that lock and key vibe. Uh, yeah, mm. so if you're a lock and key fan. That's one to seek out. I know that's like that show's like two years old, but I'm a parent, so you know. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, it takes a yeah, while. We get it. it takes us a, a bit to get around to those things. So we've been watching that. We just finished. Oh, I just watched. Actually, we are up to date on Cobra Kai. So, oh, nice, nice. Uh, it's it's like the best kind of popcorn. You know, you just it's really mm. wholesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, weirdly, yeah, simple. Yeah. Uh, of it but you're so invested in the characters and i don't know something it's such a throwback show uh Mm. there's something refreshing about it so we we just uh devoured that pretty quickly so i guess those those two shows nice good picks well jordan boobs thank you so much for being on the show modok head games number three is out february 17th and you can pick up the first two issues at comic book shops right now uh, yeah, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you guys for having me. This has been been a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. 